Hey there, Margie Bryce here bringing you the Krabby Pastor Podcast. And I don't think you're going to be too surprised to know that it's too easy today to become the Krabby Pastor. Our time together will give you food for thought to help you be the ministry leader fully surrendered to God's purposes and living into whatever it takes to get you there and keep you there. So we're talking about sustainability in ministry. This is Margie Bryce with the Krabby Pastor Podcast, and you may know that I am a ministry and leadership coach, and I've been having some conversation with ministry leaders And between that and just some other real-life experience, and I just thought it would be great to chat about what the ministry leader's main task is, and I'm probably going to start here with what it's not. So, and I just want to throw this piece out here anyway as a ministry coach. We pretty much coach the person and not necessarily the problem. And so we're coaching the individual, and so they share with me what's going on, and we define what the topic is going to be about. But what uh, a coach typically does is coach the individual person and their approach to the problem in hopes of raising some self-awareness so you can kind of understand why you do the things you do and the way that you do them so that maybe you can cultivate some different patterns. So I have been having conversation then with the ministry leaders, and I just felt like it was time for a discussion briefly. It's not a discussion if I'm the only one talking, right? It's a uh, monologue, technically. So I'm going to start with what it's not, okay? So Is your task as a ministry leader about making people comfortable? Now, we're not talking about your general hospitality at your particular location, Um, whether that is a home, um, you know, if it's a a home church situation or a traditional, you know, location with a building. And we're not talking about that kind of comfort because I've heard it said we're supposed to comfort the afflicted and or afflict the comfortable. I don't know. Afflict seems a little harsh to me, but okay. I mean, I would say that means that there's always a challenge to put out there to your people. There's always room for growth. So patting people on the head and leaving them just where they are and not encouraging them to grow in their faith, to grow as a Christ follower, to you, you can't just make people comfortable and here have a pillow, go sleep in the corner because you're so comfortable. That's kind of not what our environments are to be about. So, but there is a bit of uh, danger in how you look at your role as a leader because you don't want to become pastor panda, right? You don't want to become Pastor Panda. And actually, that is spelled P-A-N-D-E-R, which means to gratify desires and preferences. Ooh, 
preferences. There's a lot of stuff that you deal with in ministry that is preferences. I, I used to say to my kids, hey, do we need to have the needs versus the wants discussion again? <laughs> and I think that something like that could work its way more tactfully than that, than what I just said, could work its way into some kind of appropriate sermon. Just a suggestion there. And you can uh, go from there with that because, you know, pandering to people is not, you know, okay, we're back to the comfortable and here, go have a pillow and, and go sleep in the corner kind of thing. And once you, as a leader, start that, you, you are headed down the merry road of how can I make everybody happy, which is, it's tricky. It's tricky. Let me give you this illustration. When I was serving at a church and I had, it was really early in my church ministry career, and I had a woman come up to me and say, you know, pastor, I can't hear, you know, and she obviously had hearing aids and yada, yada, yada. So to make a long story short, my attempt to help her and fix it for her disturbed some other person's hearing issue. And so I quickly learned that, all right, you know, as far as hearing goes, and and I don't mean to be the crabby pastor, but kind of, sort of, but you know, you want to say, everybody, you need to fix your hearing issues on your own. Now, there are some things the church can do to help, but sometimes what we do in the big picture is going to mess it up for somebody else. That's what I learned, right? But I I know when people go to the movie theater, they don't go running up to the manager and say, fix this for me so I can hear better. You know, we're all kind of responsible for our own hearing levels, adjustments, or whatever. And maybe I'll get some nasty emails about this one. I don't know, but we shall see. So, you know, and I'm not saying that that's pandering exactly. Helping somebody to hear is different than when I was leading a church and we had worshiped in a school for four years, finally got a new situation and renovated, and it was the very first Sunday. Obviously, I'll never forget this, but someone came up to me and said, Pastor, you, you know what I miss? And here, this individual is standing in this newly renovated contemporary space with the screens and the, and the stage, and the, I mean, she was beautiful. And they said, I miss an altar up front. And I miss, you know, a candle and, and a cross on that altar. And, and I miss the Christian flag. And I miss the pastor in a robe. Now, that comment was the one that just put me over the edge. And I thought my head was going to explode because I'm thinking, are you telling me that for the past four years you've heard nothing I said because I didn't have a robe on? Anyway, so I don't know. You know, you get into these kinds of preference conversations and you have to decide whether you're going to be Pastor, Pastor Panda 
pander, I'll say it a little more clearly for you just so there's no confusion, but it sort of is kind of acute confusion, is it not? So you can't wave your magic wand and make everyone's dreams come true, which quite frequently in a traditional church setting, one that's been there for more than, I don't know, a hundred years or so, you know, it's frequently about remaking the past and the present. And, you know, so this is less of an issue for a, a new church starts, those kinds of faith communities. But, you know, you, you want to be careful that you don't join USTA Church. That's spelled U-S-T-A, just in case I'm not totally clear. But you do not want to join USTA Church. We used to do this. They used to come to our church, and now they don't. Or I used to go to a church where, you know, that's right up the, we've never done it that way before, you know, the seven words of a dying church. You know, I've known faith communities where, actually, large givers exercise considerable, considerable, considerable control over what took place. And, you know, <laughs> this is not really a place that... um pastors like to to tread, leaders like to tread, you know, like, what does a tithe get you? Is this a pay-to-play arena? That kind of thing. You know, some leaders don't want to know who gives what because they feel it could affect how they deal with people. And, And I see that. I respect that. I did at one location get to a place where I thought, hmm, I think I need to know this now. I really didn't want to know at all, but there was a situation that arose that I was pretty sure this one individual was going to get ticked at me and leave. And so I kind of wanted to understand what kind of hit we were going to take financially because of that, the life of ministry, right? And so I did look and I was amazed. I was absolutely amazed that the person that walked around looking like they owned the joint was not giving substantially and that someone who was very quiet and in the background was floating a lot of the boat. So you just never know and it could be a shocking thing to explore, but this really is not a pay-to-play arena either. So you want to just watch as a leader how you manage that and handle that. Another thing you do not want to do is the leader there is not the utility player. You're not the utility player, I'll tell you that. Meaning that if something doesn't get done, even and especially when it's assigned to someone else, you know, then, oh my gosh, you have to do it. You do it. Because then you're training your people to know that if, that it doesn't really matter if they follow through on their responsibilities, because if they drop the ball, the leader will take care of it. Mm. That is not what you want to teach your people to do whatsoever. And the last not, it is not this uh, idea that I have for you before I lurch into what is, is that if a person comes to you with an idea, and it can be a great idea, it's a great opportunity for you to see how the idea bearer can be part of the idea they are bringing to you. Because you can't do every good idea that comes to you. Each 
each faith community is best to have one or two ministry kinds of things that they do to serve their community and do those like over the top with great, great excellence. Otherwise, if you try to do every idea that comes along, you're going to end up looking like the proverbial octopus on roller skates. What we want to do is help our people to own their ministries. So not every, you know, people do come to you with ideas that they think you should execute. And it might be a great idea, but you don't always as a leader have to come up with and and execute rather every great idea that comes along. You have to be a little bit more discriminating in what your mission is to your community. And people can always go and do that ministry independently if they really are that whipped about it. Although a lot of times I found that it really was something that they wanted other people to do, even if it was a good idea. So, you know, holding those lines and and sometimes that can be hard when people are pushing up against it and continually seeking for you to fix life in the way they want. You know, for some people, the church is a psychological safety blanket, right? Things never change here, even though it's God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There's that consistency, but they're resistant to change in any way, shape, or form. You know, the culture changes, so we change to speak to the culture. I mean, really, who here can remember what life was like like before the internet? You know, things change. I even have to, you know, scrape my brain to go all the way back to that. And it really wasn't all that long ago. But, you know, back in my day, and I don't even want to go there because then I sound like a curmudgeon, so never mind. But any congregation is a God-gathered community. So you do have to ask, why did God gather us here? And what are we to be about? So, you know, it could be a combination of factors from, you know, and I'm taking this from teaching oodles of revitalization process, but one way you could evaluate possibilities for ministry is to look at the spiritual gifts of your people. That's a big deal. You know, if you can get your people to take spiritual gifts inventory, you need to find a person who has Excel spreadsheet capabilities and put the people and their gifts into a sheet. And that way, when you need, I need a mercy person, you know, you know, when you need those, you go to the sheet, you go to the sheet. So that is one way. You look at the spiritual gifts of the people, you look at the needs in your community, and then look at the passion of your leadership. Where those three things intersect, that's where your group can serve its community best. So you can see why several churches can be in one community, and they might have different ministries to the same community because they have different people in their faith community. So sometimes it does take a bit of digging to find out the needs of your community. You know, in some cases, Mission Insight and other demographic tools can be helpful Or you can do the groundwork and speak with uh, community leaders of all shapes, sizes, and stripes and ask if they could fix one thing about their community, what would it be? So here I'm going to launch into what we should be about. And technically speaking, and I can't recite which book I read this in, but 
faith communities are to be disciple-making factories. That resonates really well here in the Rust Belt of Michigan. So as far as a leader, though, how you go at that, you know, you can have kind of a shepherding ilk. You can be nurturing and caring and guiding the group along. When I teach for Indiana Wesleyan, I teach a leadership course. And one of the exercises, which I thought was just yards of fun, was for them to go to a friend or an acquaintance or even somebody they don't know that raises animals and stuff and ask them about how they care for them. Ask them what happens if over time they send in somebody new, how the animals respond. And and from that exercise, you really had a great picture of what shepherding was, caretaking and nurturing. And then along with that piece, and um, I will say here, some of us tend to lean one way more than the other and have to work on the side that we don't hit very strongly. So the other side is servant. And that is about understanding what God wants for this time and place and helping your people understand and live into that. It It's the casting a vision and, and teaching discipleship. You know, I like to say that we have identity as servants of Christ, meaning we represent God's interests in the world, particularly on the plot of ground where God has planted your feet. Uh, as faith communities and as leaders in those, our main thing is to bless your community. I mean, ideally, you want people to get in here, and you, know, you want people to hear about Christ, and that's a nice side effect, will you say, if it happens, but you can't serve so that they get in here because that, my friends, is bait and switch. And I can say that. I have a, a marketing communications background before I was called into ministry. You know, you can't say, come in here for this. Wink, wink. We really, wink, wink, want you to get in here and give us your money. Wink, wink. And serve in the way that we're serving. And don't bring in any new ideas either. <laughs> anyway, you want to purely serve your community. Bless your community so that you're a blessing to have around so that if your faith community totally evaporated, then people would miss you because you were making a contribution to your community in some fashion. Equip, though, is one of the main tasks because you need to give your people what they need to be disciples, right? And disciple at the very base level means learner. So, you know, if your people don't want to learn a new song, this kind of gives the leader a bit of insight into what you're dealing with. But you want to help them discover their Ephesians 2.10 kind of purpose. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So how are your people wired for ministry? And again, you know, you want to make sure if you get your people to buy into spiritual gifts, I'm, this is the second time I'm saying this on purpose, you know, um, you want to catalog and your people so that when that need comes along, you can find someone with exactly the skill set and gifting for that. I mean, you don't want to mismatch people. 
you don't want to send the high-end mercy people into the finance committee. They just won't be happy long-term there. So you want people to have a good experience in ministry, and so that's our task is to match them. But equipping also means a lot of asking. As a leader, and I remember running around various ways, places, and times and saying, how's it going? What else do you need in your area of ministry? I mean, maybe they're struggling. Maybe they need training. Maybe they need a mentor. Maybe they just need some new crayons. I, I did have some very simple requests like that. How can, how can I help you do better at your ministry? We want to help our people own their ministries. We really do. Sometimes ownership is pretty, pretty elusive. One thing that is helpful, though, as a leader is a level of self-awareness. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you approach life the way you do? Why do you react the way you do? Do you know when you're off kilter and maybe need some help? Because, you know, then you can work on discovering the patterns in your life and look at how you can do things more effectively and become a better leader and maybe do things in a new way. You you are, after all, human. My coach continually reminds me of the fact that I'm human when I start somehow thinking that I'm above hum- being human. I don't know. It, it's almost like, well, I'm a Christian, so I ought never to get sick, right? I mean, we know that's crazy, right? Absolutely crazy. However, if we switch up disappointment for getting sick, it gets a little dicier to deal with. Well, I'm a Christian, so I ought never to get disappointed. Uh, that's a little dicier to deal with. And what if we replace fatigue? or discouragement. You know, it's kind of the same sort of thing. And it comes back to the very fact that we are human. And that's part of what I want to contribute to the body of Christ. Here's just kind of a, a side note about that being human thing. You know, I haven't watched a ton of The Chosen, not for any particular reason. I just, I just didn't watch it. And, and I really have a reason why. And then it hit me as I did sit down with my sister recently and watch some of it. It hit me, you know, everything Jesus ever said while he was on earth is not in scripture. I mean, the stuff we need to know, all things necessary for salvation is in scripture. But Jesus did say more stuff to people than what is captured in our Bibles. Jesus had other interactions with people and probably other interactions with his disciple disciples than what is captured in scripture. I mean, we say Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. We say that theologically, but some reason we're more comfortable with Jesus walking on water than the more things that Jesus might have said than what is captured in scripture, you know, especially when it comes to the human Jesus. You know, the walking on water is where you know, that the supernatural thing. And then, you know, down here, we're grubby little humans. And, you know, what's for lunch? You know, maybe Jesus said that. Probably at some point, Jesus said that. And I think it's easy to focus on ministry and the demands of ministry with that kind of a filter, thinking that if we focus on the spiritual, it's going to help us be better humans. And it does. 
it does. But sometimes it leaves our physical being out of the equation, uh, which is what we kind of need to stay on top of lest we become crabby, right? So sometimes reflecting on the main thing that we are about is, is helpful. It's helpful and it's easy to get caught up in the many tasks that swirl around and you have to be careful because you don't want your ministry to become reactive, just reacting to what's going on around you as opposed to being proactive or taking action towards how the group needs to be Jesus to its community. So leaders are in charge of shepherding uh, their people into becoming servants of Jesus Christ. And I know I've said a lot about leadership here, and I really want to add and emphasize that we cannot neglect our physical being because that is going to be a supporting structure to help us go the distance with everything that God has planned in advance for us to do. Hey, thanks for listening. It is my deep desire and passion to champion issues of sustainability in ministry and for your life. So I'm here to help. I stepped back from pastoral ministry and I feel called to help ministry leaders uh, create and cultivate sustainability in their lives so that they can go the distance with God and whatever plans that God has for you. I would love to help. I would consider it an honor. And in all things, make sure you connect to these sustainability practices, you know, so that you don't become the crabby pastor.